Welcome to NGA Notable Lectures, a podcast offering a deeper understanding of all things artistic. In this lecture, on May 6, 2019, as part of the Works in Progress lecture series at the National Gallery of Art, Molly Sala examines the work of color painter Mary Pinchot Meyer, who worked contemporaneously with, and in some cases alongside, such artists as Anne Truitt and Kenneth Nolan. Meyer's sole concern is color. Never garish, her balance of tone and hue creates even compositions where color dominates and appears to extend beyond the bounds of the canvas. Mary Pinchot Meyer was a painter active in Washington, D.C. during the 1950s and 1960s, working contemporaneously and in some cases sharing studios with other now well-known artists. There has been interest in Meyer's work, but no serious scholarship exists to support including her in examinations of Washington art. As the name for the series suggests, my talk is a presentation of ongoing research. I will describe her painting and practice, as well as contextualize her in terms of where she studied and who she knew. What I argue is that as a painter working in Washington, among other similarly-minded painters, her work should be considered. As it stands now, when one hears the term Washington color painting, the art of Morris Lewis or Kenneth Noland might come to mind. Painters working in Washington in the mid 20th century are known for their bold, energetic, and vivacious use of color. Techniques used by these artists have become their trademark. There were so many painters working in Washington and using color in similar ways that they are usually grouped together, just as the abstract expressionists or pop artists of New York can be found installed together in the same galleries across museums. At the National Gallery of Art, we have our own color field painting gallery featuring artists from Washington, Lewis, Noland, and Thomas Downing. These are the heavy hitters of Washington color painting. This presentation aims to prove that Mary Pinchot Meyer deserves inclusion and recognition of being a color painter. Even at a cursory glance, these two paintings, the left by Noland and the right by Meyer, bear some stylistic similarities. The attention to structure, form, and geometry, but above all, color. It is difficult to see in these images, but even the application of paint is similar. There is some texture visible from Noland applying a thin layer of paint to canvas. Then referring in particular to the purple oval in the center, you can see this gradation and the way in which he applied the paint to canvas. And while it is more difficult to see in this image, Meyer is doing the same. I will go into more detail on this technique of painting later in the presentation. I would also like to note that Half Light at the Smithsonian American Art Museum is the only painting by Meyer in a public collection. Meyer was born in New York City in 1920 to Amos and Ruth Pinchot. Amos was a lawyer and key figure in the Progressive Party, and Ruth was a journalist who wrote for The Nation and The New Republic. Meyer was also the niece of Gifford Pinchot, noted conservationist and governor of Pennsylvania. She grew up at the Pinchot Estate, Gray Towers, in Milford, Pennsylvania, surrounded by a politically active and environmentally conscious family. 
1942, she graduated from Vassar College and moved to New York City to work as a journalist and took occasional morning classes at the Art Students League. There she learned from one of her teachers, Nahum Chakbasov, to focus on, quote, pure color, space, and volume, end quote. After living in New York and then Cambridge, Massachusetts for a few years, she moved to Washington, D.C. and continued to study art at American University under Ben Summerford and Robert Gates. She became even more ensconced in the Washington art scene after meeting Kenneth Noland, Vivi Rankin, Mary Orwin, and developing a very close friendship with Anne Truitt. Meyer would eventually share studios with Rankin, Orwin, and Truitt on different occasions. In 1957, a commercial gallery committed to exhibiting the work of contemporary Washington artists opened its doors. Jefferson Place Gallery was founded by artists Orwin, Gates, and Summerford, and Alice Denny, also the gallery's first director. This group of founding members agreed to equal partnership, each contributing $100 to the initial starting capital. Artists wishing to become members paid $15 per month for the operations of the gallery. The cooperative structure meant that local artists had a stake in the success of this endeavor, which created a communal sense of purpose and mission. Meyer met Alice Denny while both were art students at American University, and the two remained friends. It is not clear whether Meyer was an artist member of Jefferson Place. However, she was a constant fixture at the gallery, assisting Denny with visitors and in turn, Denny visiting Meyer's studio. In addition to her time at the gallery, Meyer was painting works like these from 1958. These two examples, Ascent on the left and an untitled composition on the right, form what I am considering her earlier period. Her style at this point is characterized by the wild, active, and expressionistic way she applied paint to canvas. The use of color shines through the mad dash of brushstrokes. In Ascent, Meyer fills the entire rectangular canvas with paint in a fashion similar to her abstract expressionist contemporaries like Jackson Pollock or Joan Mitchell. It is at this point that Meyer also experiments with the physical shape of her canvas, testing the waters with a round-shaped canvas or tondo form seen on the right. Continuing to work in a gestural manner, the paint was dripped, poured, or flung at the canvas with some drips escaping the larger areas. So I just want you to note these drips that I'm referring to are here, sort of around the edges, outside of these larger swaths of paint. Far from working in a vacuum, Meyer would travel to New York with other artists to see the latest exhibitions. Out of this group, Anne Truitt was perhaps Meyer's most meaningful connection to art. The two had a very productive visit in November 1961 when they saw the exhibition American Abstract Expressionists and Imagists at the Guggenheim, which included paintings by Barnett Newman and Ad Reinhardt. After seeing the exhibition, Truitt remarked, quote, for once in my life, enough space, enough color, the tip of balance from the physical to the conceptual in art had set me to thinking about my life in a whole new way, end quote. While Meyer's reflections on this visit are not recorded, presumably the two artists discussed the significance of the installation, and since Truett had such a strong reaction, Meyer very well could have had the same. It is around the time of this visit in 1961 that Meyer's style shifts, 
moving away from the active, expressionistic, and gestural quality seen in her paintings from the late 1950s, her work becomes planar and geometric, but no less vibrant in color. Meyer's stylistic shift represents the juncture at which modern abstract art found itself in the late 1950s and early 1960s. Art historian H. H. Arneson explored this dichotomy in his introduction for the American Abstract Expressionists and Imagists exhibition catalog, writing, quote, the essence of all this painting is, of course, the expressive power of the abstract means, of color, space, and textures, and the brushstrokes themselves. The ability of abstract expressionist painting to move the emotions and the seeming lack of order, of structure, of form. A principal characteristic of this painting in 1961 is perhaps that the skill and structure are more immediately apparent towards a dramatic simplification by the use of essentially geometric means or motifs." End quote. Arneson describes a move towards order, structure through geometric forms. Meyer's tondos, seen here from 1958 and the early 1960s, exemplify the progression towards hard edge geometric abstraction. Meyer did not constrain herself to what was conventional. While her contemporaries' paintings were fitted to rectangular stretchers, the tondo-shaped canvas was Meyer's own innovation. As seen in this image showing the back of Half-Light, Meyer stretched her finished painting around a circular stretcher, stabilized by wooden boards crossing from top to bottom and left to right. So the original part of the stretcher is the hooped form you can see peeking out from the canvas, and then there's this cross from top to bottom and side to side. The wider boards at the top, bottom, and sides were added later to strengthen and stabilize the stretcher. Creating a shaped canvas was quite unlike what other artists were doing at this time, but has historical significance as a popular form among Renaissance artists, particularly from Florence. Cosmological, theological, and theoretical implications of the circle inspired artists to craft compositions within the circular form. The circle's reference in antiquity, religion, and geometry encouraged artists like Sandro Botticelli and Raphael and many others to work within the bounds of the tondo. Meyer makes this historical form her own in the 20th century by painting broad areas of color reaching a point where she fills the entire canvas to the very edge as she works and adapts to the form of the tondo. Working within the tondo format, Meyer maintains the principle of color, concentrating her use of it. She transforms sweeps of color into flat planes that while contained by the hard edge still radiate a vibrant energy. To create these impossibly flat areas of color, Meyer utilized an avant-garde method common among her contemporaries, a staining technique. She would thin her paint with a solvent, either oil or turpentine, in order to loosen the paint. This thinned paint applied to raw canvas, which is a canvas that does not have a primer or base paint layer, soaks directly into the fibers of the canvas. So the bumps, the texture you're seeing here is the actual weave of the canvas. And because she is thinning her paint so much with uh, solvent, it stains the canvas fibers itself. It soaks directly into the canvas. Um, fine 
painting is similar to painting a room in your house in the sense that you apply a primer layer and then apply your final color coat layer. Um, the same is true in fine art painting, but here Meyer is choosing to eliminate the primer layer, thin her paint so much that it actually stains the canvas. So instead of the composition being delineated with layers of paint sitting on the surface of the canvas, a stained painting sees paint and canvas become one seemingly inseparable object. As evident in this detail, the texture of the canvas is visible and the color of the paint, but the paint is so thin that all you are truly seeing is color and canvas. In the years between the earlier and later tondos, Meyer honed her staining skills. The halo stains present in the painting on the left are the solvents separating from the colored pigments. So this area here and on the outer edges, that's the solvent separating from the, from the paint, from the pigments. This leaching is commonly found among stained canvases, but some artists attempt to control leaching in order to produce a hard-edged area of color. The hard edge was critical to the effectiveness of Meyer's work to produce fields of color. She said, quote, these paintings are not linear. The edges simply exist as a byproduct of the color fields. Where one color stops and another starts, there is an edge, but it is the result and not the cause of the color shapes or forms, end quote. While the edge may be a byproduct, as Meyer says, it should not be mistaken for an afterthought. She had to focus on the edge to create crisp, clean areas of color and learn to control her materials. Meyer was able to mitigate this leaching effect and her paintings onwards have hard edges. Meyer used an easel. However, since many of the artists Meyer knew also painted large unstretched canvases on the floors of their studios, it is probable Meyer did the same. So here you can see Helen Frankenthaler on the left and Kenneth Noland on the right, rolling out unstretched canvas and painting directly on the canvas on the floor. The probability that Meyer painted on unstretched canvas on the floor is especially true when one considers the scale of a painting like Half-Light. Note the dimensions of approximately five feet in diameter, which is about my arm span. So you can imagine having to work um, on unstretched canvas that's about this wide would be easier on the floor perhaps rather than the table. This tondo is framed showing the outer margins of the canvas with errant paint marks and drips, which demonstrates what Meyer's unstretched compositions look like. So you can see there's paint here along the very edge of the circle and large areas of paint up here. What this painting's existing frame indicates is that Meyer worked on unstretched canvas, forming the rough shape of the circle and then fitting that rough shape around the stretcher. If she had painted this already on a circular stretcher, we would not see the areas of paint on the outer edges of the circular form, nor would we see the areas of green paint in the corners, since those sections of the canvas would be at the back of where she is working. At one time, this painting was stretched around a circular stretcher. You can see uh, holes here, 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 all the way around. Those are from uh, the staples. 
Moreover, these images of the front, side, and back of a painting also demonstrate the point that Meyer would create a circular form and then stretcher and then center the stretcher against the composition so that when looking at the work straight on, the viewer does not see the rough edges of the shape. In the middle image, you can see the rough edges of the circle. She did not create a crisp edge. The paint reaches to the side of the canvas that's wrapped around the stretcher. There is also an area of paint that is wrapped to be at the back. What can also be gleaned from the back of the painting is that she did not paint an initial layer of olive green followed by green, red, and lavender. Since the green, red, and lavender come through clearly to the back of the canvas, there is truly a single layer of paint in alternating colors. The green, red, and lavender are not painted on top of the olive green field. However, the structure and presentation of Meyer's painting comes second to color, saying of her work, quote, in my painting, the color is the form, end quote. She chooses predominantly natural colors, nothing garish or too saturated. Blues, greens, and browns form the basis for much of her work and always in balance with each other. Inspiration for these colors came from her surrounding environment, the natural world. Firstly, from her childhood home, Gray Towers, where she maintained a studio and would often go home to paint. Her neighborhood, Georgetown, here in Washington, with its tree-lined streets and parks. Nature is an ever-present source of inspiration for her, or rather, the colors of nature. She said, quote, someone wanting to paint poppies in a wheat field is probably wanting to put that color brown against that color red. So why not head straight for the real thing, end quote. Meyer believed in depicting her subjects through pure color, which is a more authentic and true description. As I continue to work on this project, I wish to push interpretations of her color methodology further by considering the theories of Joseph Albers and Anne Truitt. Comparing Meyer's painting against that of other hard-edged geometric work is worth closer examination. As Meyer continues to focus on painting pure color, she adapts her compositions, arriving at the quadrant tondo motif. Four quarters of individual color whose respective right angles come together at a central point. The earthy olive and brown quadrants opposite each other, flanked by gray, blue, and lavender. The dark areas bound to the light by a hard edge. The dark and light quadrants never touching, their partner color except for a single moment in the center. As the eye move, moves across the canvas, going between dark and light, the areas come forward and recede, activating the surface of the canvas. Balance is achieved by the similar toned colors facing each other and pointing inwards. If your eye cycles around the painting, the light and dark colors alternate. Light is surrounded by dark on either side and dark is surrounded by light. This work illustrates the artist's achievement of painting pure color. Meyer has been represented in four exhibitions known so far. She was included in an installation at the Jefferson Place Gallery in 1963, but no records exist, so I have not confirmed which paintings were part of the exhibition. There is, however, a review of the exhibition by Leslie Judd Allander, published in the Washington Post. 
Allander describes Meyer's use of color, writing, quote, color obtained through the use of plastic paint on unsized canvas, as is usual with this group of artists, is luminous and carefully thought out. It is easy to see that the artist has brought a great deal of thought to bear on the adjustment of areas and color, end quote. This first-hand account of a monographic exhibition indicates the rise of recognition Meyer experienced in the 1960s. The review goes on to say that as Meyer hones her style, the results are, quote, gratifying indeed, end quote. In 1967, the Washington Gallery of Modern Art opened a monographic exhibition of Meyer's work titled Paintings by Mary Meyer. Half-Light was featured on the exhibition announcement as well as a curatorial statement from the director of the Washington Gallery of Modern Art, Charles Millard. He writes that the exhibition was devoted entirely to her Tondo paintings and was the first of its kind. The following year, in 1968, Meyer was included in the 10th anniversary exhibition for the Jefferson Place Gallery, along with artists like Sam Gilliam, Jacob Kanan, Rockney Krebs, Kenneth Noland, her former studio mate, Vivi Rankin, and her professor, Robert Gates. Perhaps the most significant exhibition was in 1964, when Meyer was included in Nine Contemporary Painters USA, an exhibition organized by the Pan American Union, now known as the Organization of American States, and curated by Lawrence Alloway of the Guggenheim Museum. This exhibition showcased, quote, works by young or little-known talents of the United States, end quote, to a Latin American audience, opening first at the Pan American Union building in Washington and then touring Latin America. Intended as a biennial project, the organizers of nine contemporary painters chose to first highlight artists from Washington. The Pan American Union typically organized installations of lesser-known Latin American artists for exhibition at their headquarters in Washington. But with nine contemporary painters, they chose to reverse the exercise and present contemporary art from the US, starting in Washington, but eventually focusing on art in other cities. The group of artists selected for this show, such as Meyer, Sam Gilliam, Thomas Downing, and Jean Davis, all painted in a similar way. As Alloway noted in his introduction for The Art, the art of Washington is characterized by its, quote, use of flat color on unprimed canvas. The color is used systematically without any drama of handling and without renewed formal invention, end quote. Alloway connected Meyer artistically to Gilliam, Downing, and Davis, three artists who are firmly placed in the canon of great color field painters. Gilliam met Meyer at the exhibition's opening reception and later remarked, quote, her language was the same as every other strong abstract artist. There was this sense of concentration on the idea of painting and what was new, end quote. In conversation with Gilliam, Meyer demonstrated her serious study of painting. Discussing materials and process, she proved to be very focused on her own work and hearing from others. This concentration, as Gilliam puts it, supports the accolade given to her by Lawrence Alloway as an exemplary contemporary artist. This exhibition played a critical role in legitimizing Meyer's status as an unbecoming color field painter. Meyer's works bring to bear elements of modern avant-garde painting, flatness, opticality, and color. 
Clement Greenberg, critic of modernist painting and champion of the Washington color field painters, promoted these characteristics above all others. Greenberg wrote, quote, purity in art consists in the acceptance, willing acceptance of the limitations of the medium of the specific art, end quote. In other words, when working in the specific art of painting, one should create a two-dimensional object that does not convey a sense of depth since a painting is inherently two-dimensional. Staining the canvas to avoid layering the paint, which also physically adds depth to a composition, was a technique most in line with Greenberg's theory of what avant-garde painting should be. He wrote in another essay, quote, let painting confine itself to the disposition pure and simple of color and line and not intrigue us by the associations with things we can experience more authentically elsewhere." End quote. Painting should demonstrate the characteristics that make it a painting, color, line, flatness. Meyer accomplishes this, yet Greenberg lauds the work of Morris Lewis and Kenneth Noland. When Greenberg comes to Washington, he visits with Lewis, Noland, and Meyer. When Noland and Meyer travel to New York, they spend time with Greenberg. The whole group is invited to Gray Towers for a weekend, Meyer's childhood home. Morris Lewis, Kenneth Noland, and others have been recognized as the preeminent painters from Washington, the practitioners of true modern painting. I believe Meyer needs to be considered a painter of equal originality because knowing and understanding her work fleshes out what we think color field painting is. Including her in the canon of color field painting changes the arc of how, when, and why this mode of art making developed, which is a more intriguing and nuanced narrative. Mary Pinchot Meyer's work belongs in the story of this history and should be recognized. Thank you. This has been a National Gallery of Art podcast.